Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Wow, wow. I love meeting you all, hearing your thoughts and opinions. I love the conversations that follow these episodes. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you all for helping spread the word, engaging with the content that I create for you and making more of it happen. Today is a perfect example of an episode inspired and executed by you. We will be hearing your responses and thoughts on some of the questions that we asked. Just before we start, we have a few announcements. If you'd like to sponsor an episode or season, I'd be happy to help you promote your product or services here on the show. So definitely reach out. My email's in the show notes. If you enjoy this content, please follow the show, rate and review it on whichever podcast app you listen to. Also help us spread the word by sharing the episodes you love with your friends and family, which so many of you are doing. So thank you. As you may know already, this podcast is on jewishcoffeehouse.com on the Jewish Coffee House Network, which means that there are other wonderful podcasts on there that you may very well enjoy. Speaking of, it's so nice when the WhatsApp group brings up Orthodox Conundrum as well as other podcasts on the group. Did you know I have an online course that you can take in just one day that will teach you everything you need to launch your own podcast, including a detailed shopping list, pro tips for every step of the way, and so much more? Click on the link in the show notes to get started. You can also email me. And next, we are moving along with the Round Robin Week 3, where we are featuring different female Jewish podcasters. Today's feature on the podcast is from Jewish Money Matters podcast with Yael Trush. It used to be called Jewish Latin Princess, and I was interviewed on her podcast a few years back. Yael is awesome, and I'll play her promo right now. Hey there, I'm Yael Trush, host of Jewish Money Matters podcast. I want to invite you to join me in the only podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. And honestly, where we talk about this money, personal finance and business stuff in a fun, positive and uplifting way. Every week, my guests and I bring you practical and spiritual tools to help you build wealth and break free from the shackles of financial worry. Every Friday, I'm back on the show answering your questions in an Ask Yael episode. Everything from money management, money mindset, marriage and money, children and money, Judaism and money, growing your money, whatever is on your money or business mind. This show is where we're going to speak openly, honestly, and Jewishly about money so that you can design and build the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Join me in this important, uplifting, and engaging conversation at Jewish Money Matters Podcast on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you there. Let's get started. This special episode is brought to you as a collaboration between two podcasts, Orthonomics and The Francisca Show. I am Francisca. And I am Mark Trencher with Orthonomics. We decided to survey our audiences for today. So you will be listening to your voice, the voice of the Kahila, and we're excited to share with you what we've learned about you. Okay, Mark, yeah. why don't you take it away? Okay, so I would simply add that uh, when I started my podcast, which fortunately I called it Orthonomics, I really was talking, I was thinking of calling it Voice of the Kahila, which most of us know Kahila means the community. But then I figured not everybody would know what that means. So I called it the Orthonomics Podcast. So the idea we had was as follows. I once worked in a big insurance company and they said to me, Mark, you're in charge of VOC. So I, of course, pretend that I knew what it, what it meant. I asked the guy next to me, what the heck is VOC? He says, VOC is voice of the community, voice of customer. It's a program that we have 
that we listen to our customers. We don't just listen when they complain. We ask them what they think, and we have surveys, and we have interviews, and we have a panel of like 20 great customers that we interview on the phone every month. So it's a way of reaching out to the community. We don't really do that in the orthodox world. I mean, we sometimes listen to people complain, we listen to them. But so, so my goal in doing research and setting up Nishma, which means we listen, Nishma research is to listen to the community. And the idea I had with Francisco was, and this idea came to me after reading your WhatsApp, which is, which is amazing. I mean, it's an amazing group of enthusiastic people. I posted one article and then there were like a hundred comments on it. So I said, you know, people want to be heard. People love being heard. People love having dialogue. It's a very remarkably respectful and informative group. You know, sometimes people get a little bit uh, excited, but it's a very respectful group. And we talk about the fact that there really are, you said there are some questions you'd love to get the answers to. And I have questions I'd love to get the answers to. So this survey is not a scientific survey. We got about 40 people responded. Most of the questions are not like check boxes. Most of them are open-ended. What do you think about this? We really wanted to get people to give us quotes. And most of this episode is going to be exactly that. It's going to be quotes. It's going to be what you think, what's on your mind. And let's have a great discussion. Yes. And I'd like to just tell everyone, even with our 40 plus people who responded, we have 31% modern or centric Orthodox. We have 31% Yeshivish, Aguda Litvish. We have 19% Hasidic, excluding Lubavitch, 4.8% Chabad, and then 14.3% other. And other could be between modern and more right wing. I don't belong to a specific group. Just normal smiley face, Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Mitzvos, very hard to describe. So this is who we're going to be listening to today. It was interesting that I'm not surprised that about two-thirds were women, one-third men. I should, by the way, add, in terms of your modern Orthodox Yeshivish Hasidic, I wish, I wish when I did a survey, I got that mix of people you got. So even though the sample is small, it's really a really great mix of the community. Like it's like one-third modern Orthodox one-third yeshivish and one-third, about one-third Hasidic. So it's great. It's a great representative sample. And I learned so much from the chat. First of all, it gives me ideas for what podcasts to focus on next. And it's very interesting conversations. I learned so many different facts and views. And I love how people are able to listen or read each other's voices and comments, that there's a space for it to happen, even if I can't follow everything that's happening all the time. What else? One is age, and it ranges from in the 20s to over 60. The median, the midpoint age is 35, which is about right. I mean, the community as a whole has a midpoint age in the low 40s, but you're not, now you're talking about people who are into podcast listening. It tends to be a little bit younger. And we had about 80% married and about 20% single, never married, widowed, divorced. So it's, it's a nice representative group. It's nice to see who the audience is. So I'm... Um very pleased that we are so diversified within our culture of conforming Judaism where everyone values in a way being the same. Should we start on the open-ended questions? Yes, let's start on the exciting open-ended questions. So we decided we're going to alternate. One of us will read the question and give a few of the responses that we like, and then the other person can if they want to chime in. So the first question was, what do you love the most about Judaism and about being Orthodox? We asked this question in 2017 of like 4,000 Jews, and the number one thing that people mentioned, so I, sometimes you ask people, what do you think was number one? They say Shabbos. They say, yeah, that was number two. Learning, that was number three. 
whatever they say. And finally, somebody says community. I said, yeah, community was number one. And actually, the word community was mentioned 33 times. People who responded mentioned the word community 33 times. They mentioned family 12 times, Torah 11 times, and Shabbos 8 times. But it's interesting that the thing people love is, so I'll read a comment, community and sense of belonging. I absolutely love that there are so many options of communities. And once you find one that you love, there is so much satisfaction to being a part of it. Different people with similar values and beliefs. It's awesome. So this person talked about the fact that there's a lot of diversity in the community. You know, that that's true. You could be in a city that has hundreds of shuls. And I sometimes tell people, if you don't like your shul, you can probably find one you like in your neighborhood. You might have to move, but I guarantee you the shul that's right for you is out there somewhere. So it says a community, it says a belonging. This person wrote a very long comment and I split it in two. So I'm going to read the second part of this person's comment, which goes off in a different direction. And this really gets more into Judaism. The purpose behind everything I do, from the minute I wake up until the minute I go to sleep, I feel a deep sense of purpose behind the things I do. I am not the holiest Jew, and I can't say I maximize every moment. However, that's part of the benefit that I always feel I can take on more if I don't feel that sense of purpose to the extent that I want to. So really, that's what a lot of people said, that I'll be honest and tell you that the people in, in my service, the people who talked about that, about Abodas Hashem, serving God, tend to be a little bit more often yeshivish than modern Orthodox. The modern Orthodox people more often say, I love my community. Everybody says we love learning. Everybody says we love Shabbos. We love seeing our children and grandchildren connect the continuity. But it's interesting that the number one thing was sense of community. So I'd like to add something because it stuck out for me. I remember my mother coming home one day when I was, I don't know, eight or nine and saying, why are you from? The knee-jerk response that both my sister separately gave and I gave, and she said most people give this answer, she told us that after we responded, because my family's from or because my mother's from. So someone did mention that this is how I was brought up, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm generally a happy person, and I'm sure I would be happy anywhere. That was just something that stuck out for me that I wanted to share. And another aspect of the community, there's that sense of belonging. There's that sense of support. Very often in other cultures, you have your work environment. You maybe have a social environment, maybe, you know, the parents in your school of your children. So that could be your social environment. In the Jewish Orthodox world or in the religion in general, Shul breaks down the barrier of socioeconomic levels or community members. You could have, you know, multimillionaires davening in the same shul as people who are in WIC. And, and that sense of community, we're all Jews, we're all keeping Shabbos, or we're all davening and fasting because it's Yom Kippur. Whatever it is, there's that camaraderie and sense of community, and we're all there for each other that is so ingrained in us as humans. It's like our deepest level to belong to something and to feel like we add to something. So I just wanted to point that out. It's a very human shared, beautiful experience. So I'll go to the next question. What are the things in your Orthodox community that most bother you? What are your pain points and what specifically is it? That bothers you. So I wanted to round up some of the answers that kept coming to similar points. We have materialism and keeping up with the Joneses. And then all the talk around extremism, control of the leaders, technology, 
conforming in terms of dress. And, and you have that in Hasidic and Yeshivish communities. The way you dress applies to men also. It's very strict. And having the wrong brim on your black hat could be a sign of rebelliousness. And then there was poverty as well. So you have the materialism and the poverty. The one quote I wanted to read out loud, the eliteness, the I'm firmer than you competition, fear of talking openly about mental health and about sex and fakeness. I want to talk about God, hardships, disappointment, and healthy sex. Also, why do we still tell girls to get married after seminary? This doesn't happen for all and causes such self-esteem blows. And then we have the poverty denial of reality dogma. So I thought those were interesting. And then there was the hypocrisy is most disturbing. Also, who are these men to rule? They sit and learn from old Sparum and most won't adapt it to our day and age. Like people are different now. You can't have the same rules. That's impossible to keep up with. Dress code, having two phones, one smart, one kosher. Schools need to get with the times or whoever else makes it so hypocritical. This is just a few, but there's plenty more. And then someone said, surveys like this, superficial Judaism, thinking that demographic identification has anything to do with Yerush Shemayim. So Mark, take it away. Thank you. So I actually do have a smartphone. I spend about 20% of my time playing Scrabble and about 70% listening to podcasts. If you looked at my podcast list, you would say, yeah, that's a kosher phone because he's listening to a lot of Shiram. We did a survey in 2017 where we had a list of 27 problems and we asked people, is this a problem? Is that a problem? And it was interesting that all of these things made the top 10 list. People with inappropriate midos, behaviors. That was number three on the list of 27 things. People dishonest in business, that was number five among 27 things. People lacking love for others in the community was number seven. And people feeling isolated was number nine. So it was interesting that we only had four things on our list that were kind of like not halachic and not theology and not belief and, and not even religious practice, but just practice of people, how they, how they behave to each other. So when we looked at the results we got from, from our little survey, one person wrote, People that are a blatant Chilil Hashem in their behavior with others. It's just all about behavior, how we behave and how we're seen, the disregard of rules, policies, guidelines, mandates. And this person wrote Gayim Fe. You know, what we, does that mean? So a comment that we got in the past was I, I was taught that our ethics are on a higher level. And I've met some people that are not from, or even people that are not Jewish, and they're very fine ethical people. So, I mean, it's kind of. It's kind of respect for people that are a little bit different from us, but those are some of the things that kind of popped out at me. Okay. Do you want to comment on materialism? That kept yeah, that, up. so that's a big issue. So I tell my wife all the time, we need to thank God that we live in a place that's not materialistic, which we do. There was one shop here that somebody in our shul made a, a very wealthy person, made a very fancy bat mitzvah. It was like a fancy bar mitzvah, catered with a band. With photography, it was basically no different from an expensive bar mitzvah. Was, then the following Shabbos, one of the rebbeim in our yeshiva made a bat mitzvah kind of, I don't know that he wanted to make a bat mitzvah, that he wanted to make a big deal about it because he was a rebbe and kind of a yeshivish guy, but maybe the daughter wanted one. Basically, we all went down to the basement. She stood in the corner, read a brief Torah, and it was a basic kiddish. It wasn't a fancy kiddish. What was interesting is that nobody, nobody in our community cared. I mean, nobody... I didn't hear anybody say, you know, that wasn't fancy or that was, or that was too fancy. So there's materialism. There's materialism. You know, it's an issue that's been talked about lately, the cost of the, the lifestyle. I can't wait and to yeah. hear what people on the chat are going to say about that because 
Oy vey, should a bar mitzvah be as fancy as a bar mitzvah? That's a... <laughs> that's it a... was. These were two bar mitzvahs. One was super fancy. But, you know, the same thing would have happened if it was a bar mitzvah. One was super fancy and one was just, you know, the, the boy gave a Dvar Torah and, and not fancy. So it, it's nice being in a community where there's no competitiveness. I'm happy you clarified that to just let us enjoy the beauty without having to compare the boys and girls experience. That's the basic point. It wasn't a comparison yeah. of boys and girls. It was, it was two buttons, one Shabbos after the other. Thanks for the clarification. I think I'm going to do an episode on this, but on one hand, we judge the materialism so much. We don't like the standards being raised. On the other hand, these people are from and do believe in Hashem very often and are supporting most of our institutions. So wh why should others be able to judge them on how they spend the rest of their money? Maybe they should enjoy their vacation and their simcha. And it should be okay for everyone to do things on their own level. Yeah. And, and, yeah. So just a right, thought there, out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are, there are people in my community. There are two members of our shul. Every shul has people that are wealthy, that are very wealthy. And the two people in our community, I think the only reason why we know who they are is because one of them, a couple came out with a program that every single, every single kid who goes to our day school here, grades K through 12, they give them several thousand dollars a year per kid every year. They have a beautiful house and they drive fancy cars, but they're spending what they have to benefit the community. So, I mean, there's materialism where the person's goal is to show what they have. And then there's materialism where a person's goal is to realize that what I have I am fortunate and lucky, and it's a gift from Hashem, and I spend it accordingly. So it's not that we're criticizing materialism. It's that we want people who have things that others don't have to care about others. Yeah. And on the flip okay. side, you have people expressing their pain points as Jewish education being so expensive and the Shaduchim crisis. So we have all of that in there as well. I think you have the next question. The next one is a long question. Is there someone you go to for spiritual guidance, to shuvot, fizuk, etc., and or help with life decisions? Who is that person? How is that working out for you? Or if there is no such person guiding you, why is that? So we did find a number of different answers. One person said, no, meaning there's no person they go to for spiritual guidance. No, I go to friends and family when I need help. I just don't have a connection to someone like that. So this person does have sources. It may not be a, the family people might be rebellion, but it might, it might be knowledgeable people, but they don't feel fully comfortable going to people, but they need a connection. One person said, yes, my community rabbi, my husband's yeshiva rabbi, my from therapist, I need them all in my life to keep me on track. So that person's very fortunate having an array of people within the community available to them to help them. One person said, I like, I like this, the Torah is my guide. I can learn myself. So, I mean, we all have, I, I made a joke once. Somebody asked a question and I said, you want to know what Rabbi Wikipedia says? So it, it's a reality. People do their own research. Sometimes their profession is basic. People do try to answer it themselves. And if a person is knowledgeable and can, can learn the Mishnah Brewer, the Shulchan Aruch, et cetera, then they may have an ability. Yeah, on the other hand, we do, a, you know, say, look, a rabbi is a principle that we all should have a rabbi guiding us and that's kind of important. Another thing I would add, and I didn't see it in the survey comments, is there are a number of communities where there is a woman who's been educated in the Hilchos Arasamishpacha, laws of family purity, and I did a study. We actually asked women where they go for answers, and we found that if they're in a city 
where there's either a full-time or a, on a rotation, a U.S. Halakha, those women really, really love going to a U.S. Halakha for questions. So that's a relatively newer trend, but the people in the community that have access to it do really uh, utilize it and value it. And there's also a differentiation for going to somebody for a kashras halacha or tars mishpacha halacha, where it's more or less yes or no is my it's my knife trafe. Could I eat this? It's after Pesach. And then you have people who go, and I know on the more Hasidish spectrum, and anyone leaning toward that, they go to their rabbis, rabbis, mentors, for all kinds of decisions that aren't halacha, but more lifestyle, choosing schools for their children, deciding whether to do therapy, accepting a job, moving to a different city, and and everything in between. So this touches on Das Torah, which is the view that's more prevalent in the yeshivish world. So in the, in the Hasidish world, you, you have your Rebbe. In the yeshivish world, there's a view that because the Rebbeim have more of a connection to Torah and to knowledge, so there are people who ask many questions of a rabbi, that's less common in the modern Orthodox world, but that's also a trend that's out there as well. I'll just read two answers out loud. Yes, not great, as I'm looking for a fact-based Judaism, which doesn't exist, with the chasing branch. So we have those kinds of answers, as well as not unless I have a huge question. I believe that everyone needs to move at their own pace and trust their intrinsic self to know what they need. Otherwise, I consult my friends and those that know me best. If something is a matter of halacha, I ask my rough. I would also add that on on Facebook, there is a, a kosher Costco group, and there's a kosher Trader Joe's group with a lot of people, a lot of people. And I'd say one question out of five is, does anybody recognize this hashkacha? And within minutes, somebody will tell you, yes, it's so-and-so. It's the rabbi from Melbourne, Australia. They are reliable, whatever. So, I mean, to the extent that there are questions that we can sometimes get an answer without going to a Rav, if, you, if you're part of a community, it could be an online community, but that's that's also a trend out there. Well, I'm sure people will have a problem with that because you don't know the the member of the community of the Facebook group who's telling you it's a reliable Ashgacha. If they, if they don't adhere to Alecha like you do, maybe their uh, vouching is not up to par. That's very true. We ready for the next question? Yes. Are you and your spouse on the same page religiously? And just so you know how people responded, half, 50% said completely, and the rest said mostly. And then follow-up question, please explain why you answered that way. So I'll read some responses that I liked. My motto is marriage is not about compromise. It's about improvise. We discuss and debate topics, never agree to disagree. We discuss until we understand each other's perspectives. Most of the time, we will come to the same conclusion after debating it respectfully. We enjoy discussing new concepts we learn or overhear and apply it to our lifestyle. Sounds like an ideal marriage. (laughs) Here we have, we both defer to the same rabbi. It really keeps us in sync. I like that word, in sync. My husband is much more black and white than me, although he too is out of the box. He doesn't have the same religious identity crisis as I do. Another response, I'm more independent thinker, actor than my husband. He finds it easier to just accept whether he agrees or not. Here's another one. We got married older as fully formed adults. There was zero parental pressure. We knew what we wanted in life, and we've been through a lot already. I don't believe two people can be 100% religiously compatible, so I answered mostly. I'd say we are 90% compatible. I also overlooked some things because my husband is a great person in other ways that are more important. 
there's a quote here also. Similarly, my husband is very strict and does exactly what it says in the halakhic sources. I'm more about what the community does. You know, there was a, to go back 40, 50 years, everyone followed the halakha the way they were taught by their parents. So you have women who are doing what their mothers and grandmothers did. And it could be that the husband is learning and now has a kind of a different view. So I don't know if that's common, but it's interesting to mention. I'll tell you a brief story. I was driving with my wife and I said, are we going to find parking where we go to? And she said, absolutely. Hashem will find a parking space for us. And you know what? We got there and the space closest to the door, the building was open. We pulled right in. She said, you see? And I said to her, you know, do you really think Hashem is a parking lot attendant? I'm, I'm telling you the story because I think it's common for a husband or wife to not, have, to not be exactly 100% on the same wavelength. I am the first one to admit that my wife is a far more spiritual, connected to Hashem, and would thick a person than I am. Not that I'm not, but she's really a role model. So, you know, if a husband or wife are not on the same page, it may not be a bad thing. They connect with each other. And if there are differences, you work on each other. So uh, it's not a bad thing to be in a slightly different place. It's good if, you, if there's a strong connection there. And politics also brought out a lot. It's not a religious issue necessarily. But for example, abortion, you could have a husband thinking one way on it, and a wife thinking another way that could be impactful on a halachic level as well, if it's a personal case. But I don't think our jobs are to be the mirrors of our spouses. But I was very curious about that question. So I'm pretty satisfied with the responses we got. Okay. Thinking broadly, do you have any questions, issues, or thoughts relating to sexual attitudes, behaviors, practices, halachos, etc., as they affect you? So four people just said no. And then there were a bunch of long answers. <laughs> Why do we not talk about the issues around male sexuality and how Zara Lavatella is an impossible ideal to uphold to? There's so much unhealthy guilt and shame that creates unhealthy behavior. That's one. I have questions as to why I was brought up so sheltered. I truly don't see how it helped anything at all. Education and knowledge equals empowerment to do the right thing. Many people responded, I have a hard time with NIDA laws. And then you have the opposite. I love that halachos pertaining to sex take the pressure off me needing to please my husband, but rather vice versa. The period after childbirth is insane. I hate to sound like a heretic, but I think the chumrah of waiting two months is cruel. Shivanakim is another one, not as bad, but also insane chumrah that causes a lot of strife. Other than that, I love my marriage. I think the guidelines of halacha overall are a lot more helpful than harmful. And if followed, can lead to a very amazing marriage. I just have to plug this in. We've done a lot of episodes on The Francisco Show around sexuality. We have Nida, Mikvah, What I Wish My Kala Taught Me. I think it's called the Sex Ed Panel. And some other big episodes around female sexuality, marriage. So definitely check those out. I've heard amazing feedback from women, couples, that it has helped them either feel validated around their unhappy experiences or actually help them find new mindsets that do work for them to enhance or make it a little bit more tolerable or even appreciate those mitzvahs more. So we have a spectrum here of the stuff that's going on. And I really think the people listening to these podcasts and people who are reading books and educating themselves will do a better job raising the next generation with more awareness and education and less negative feelings around sexuality and how it's forbidden to talk about. And it's a lonely experience. And if, if you hate mikvah nida and your husband can't stand it, then something's wrong with you. So I'm happy to hear back from the people. I think we're ready for the next question. 
Okay, so the, the next question was, are there aspects of orthodox practice, uh, halacha, minhag, etc., where you find yourself being more machmir, meaning stringent, careful, than other people in your religious community? The expectation is that most people would say yes, because there's an array. In, in every community, there are people that are more careful, less careful. People have relatives who tell me, I've taken this on. So in other words, it's something that's not common in, in his community, but he's taking it on as something extra to do. The purpose of that being that it's a way for the person to connect to Hashem in a way that they haven't done up to now. The hope is that when you take something on, when you do it, you're thinking, okay, as I'm doing this, I feel I'm doing it for this reason. So eight people just said no, which means that most of the rest said yes. They, they, they did. There is an area. I'll read you some of the comments. Yes. I have to remember that everybody's in a different place. One person says yes, kashras, bug checking and hair covering. That it may be something that is less common in his or her community. And it's something that maybe their amount of bug checking is more than the average person in their community does. Or it could be that, that half the women don't cover the hair in, in her community, and she does. So for her, in, in that community, she's being more machmir. One person said, I try to be makped, which means to be very careful, scrupulous, on things like not obsessing over wealth. My community is simple, but it's getting more show-offy over time. I'm very good at getting to davening on time, but I also miss many times. So I try not to look down on those who come late. I am Makbid and Kavod Harav, which means careful to properly respect the rabbis and Zakanim and you know, the older people. And my wife and I are extremely careful on Lashon Hara. I am proud of us on that one. Lashon Hara, you know, not speaking bad talk, slander, talking bad about people. Several people mentioned that they're being careful about Lashon Hara. And then one person said there's some things are more stringent on and some are less stringent. So we did get a variety of things. Uh, when we asked people in a survey I did, we asked people, are your kids more or less religious than you are, and about one-third said they're more religious than you are. And when we asked people, well, how, how do you define that, yeah, the answers were sometimes interesting, because everybody defines more religious as doing things that I don't do, and less religious as not doing the things I do. And guess where I am? I'm in Perfectville, you know, where I'm exactly right. Anyone firmer than you is extreme, and anyone right. less firm is a guy. Very yeah. true, very true. So what I like about this question, and we have the follow-up question with what are you more makele on than the people in your community? What I like about it is it brings out the diversity in our communities. We tend to want to conform and look the same when we show up to Kiddush, to Shul. We dress very, to the outside world, we look exactly the same. But we all strive to be different and we all are on different religious levels, whether it shows externally or it doesn't. So these questions are very exposing on a 40-person level, but it shows us the dynamics of people's minds. It helps just validate that everyone has their, everyone's struggling or everyone's growing at their own pace. And that and that's normal. The follow-up was, are there aspects of orthodox practice, I love something like, where you find yourself being makele, less stringent, lenient, compared to other people in your community? And yeah, most people responded. The majority of people said they did do this in some areas. Uh, one person said vegan, vegan food has been a trend lately to have uh, restaurants that are vegan and food. You can buy a packaged food that says it's vegan, but it doesn't have any hashkacha, or it might have hashkacha, but uh, it might not be a common one. But some people are more okay with eating vegan food, kosher standards, dress standards, entertainment, okay, entertainment consumption. 
somebody once said that that there's a theory called Torah Omada, which is we combine Torah observance with philosophy and science. And then the person said, these days Torah Omada means that you have a beautiful Shabbos and then you go to then you go to the movie Saturday night. So, you know, that person may be in a community where he says entertainment consumption. If you're in a community where people don't go to the movies, maybe you do. One person says, I'm, I'm more lenient with all the pressure created by the community to follow a certain image. I refuse to live up to other people's standards. So this person is reacting to the fact that they want to be a little bit different. One woman said, probably I cover my hair with a baseball cap during the week, which is overall not the norm here. Most cover their hair fully, but for me, that doesn't work. And then she mentioned that she has a headache issue. So maybe that's part of it. But it's like the question earlier about where people are machmer. I think if you talk to people, everybody is in a different place. And the same person who could be taking something on and be more careful about something, the same person who could be dominating with more kavana, with more intent, might be more lenient in some other areas. Yeah. And a lot of the things mentioned were around dress code and stockings and hair covering and knee length clothing. We also have some screen time slash entertainment consumption confessions. So those were, you know, some more private slash more public makele confessions admission. And then there's somebody who wrote, I would like to just point that out. I sometimes just because I believe I've done my research. So very often I know this rabbi, he was trying to recruit someone to come to shears. He's, so that person said, I don't want to go to your share because then I'm going to have to keep the halachos of kashros even more. It was a kashros shear. He's like, maybe if you come, you'll see all the things you're doing you don't have to be doing. So in a way, learning can be a very uh, enlightening experience because you'll find out all the chumras that you're doing that you don't technically have to be doing unless you are, your chumras are ke'alacha. I know Hasidim have that a lot. If you're struggling with something, maybe learn about it to see, you know, how can you potentially be more lenient in that area to make it more bearable instead of an all or nothing type of experience. So I found that to be a helpful option. Mark, did we lose you? Nope, I'm here. Okay, finally, let's have a little bit of fun, right? We're up to the last question. Yeah, let's have a little bit of fun. If you could recommend one Jewish book, a secular book, not a safer a movie or a TV show to a friend, what would it be? Explain, especially if it's not obvious, why you categorize it as Jewish. I was actually looking ahead on my document here, and I saw somebody recommended the book Out of the Depths, and I was, when Francisco said, are you still here? Because I was looking over, that book is right here, like about, I, I can almost reach it if I reach out my arms. It's a book for Rabbi Lau's autobiography. Well, you got some interesting, not surprisingly, Stissel, which is a TV show. I should mention that a lot of these are nice. There's Neostick, it's a newer, there's, Nothing offensive in anything like Stissel. It's just great stories about from people, uh, Stissel, a family living in Yerushalayim. Uh, the father is a Rebbe in Rosh Yeshiva. The family, everyone's doing different things. So people mention Stissel. Some people mention the movie Menasha, which is a, the, the main actor is a from Hasidish guy. He's, he's, the issue is he's kind of not been successful in life. He's trying to keep custody of his son, he's divorced. The one that is challenging is the book, All Who Go Do Not Return by Shulam Dean, and he was a square chassid, went off the derach. But the book is an interesting book because one of the reasons why people go off the derach is because they have questions and nobody can answer them. 
and the questions grow over time. I have legitimate questions about Hashem, about why we do the things we do, and people get turned off because they're not getting answered. He basically explains how that happens to him. If I can give my own two recommendations, just two recommendations. My wife read a book recently called Rebel Daughter, which is fiction. It's about a young girl. Her father was one of the Kohanim in the base of Megdash. This is, this starts four years before the destruction of the second base of four years before, and it goes through all the events, the rebellion against Rome. It's kind of a fiction based upon an actual real person. It's called Rebel Daughter. It's a short book. And the other thing I'd recommend if you're into movies, there was a movie called Fill the Void. Have you ever heard of that movie, Fill the Void? Yeah. Which is what, one of the most amazing movies. It's about a Hasidic family. They actually live in Tel Aviv. There are Hasidim in Tel Aviv. It's a Hasidic family. The husband and the wife is pregnant and she dies. She passes away. The baby's born. And now the husband has the baby. And now they're trying to get him remarried. And they're trying to set him up with the younger sister of his wife. And it's in Hebrew. It's in Yiddish. Uh, it's called Fill the Void. If you can get it, 100% acceptable to watch. There's nothing objectionable. And it's just a very beautiful movie. It's a beautiful movie. So to me, the fact that most people who listen to your podcast said that there is something they would recommend. So it's a nice list. There's stuff out there that, that we can learn from, that, that we can enjoy. I enjoy this conversation. Do you have any closing remarks after doing this survey compared to other surveys you've done? Anything new you've picked up on that you haven't seen before? Yeah, this is a fun survey. So we had this printout of all the answers. In early 2023, we're going to be doing a big survey of the entire Orthodox community. We did it in 2017, mainly modern Orthodox. But you know, the, the thing is that people in the Jewish community, people are moving back and forth. So the person who was modern Orthodox in 2017, they tell me now, I don't really think I'm modern I, I think I, if I had to categorize, I think I would be probably yeshivish. So I, I need in my shoulder are two kids who grew up fully modern Orthodox who are now uh, neo-Hasidic. So we really want to expand that survey. So this is helpful because it's nice getting responses from across the board. So I need to read through all of the answers that people gave there. That'll help me come up with some really great questions and do the next survey. Well, I'm happy you enjoyed this. I really enjoyed hearing the answers. I like hearing what the people are thinking. The first few years of the podcast, there was no community around the podcast. So I had individuals reaching out to me, but I didn't know overall who's listening and what their thoughts are. What do they want to hear more about? And now it just feels like this dance, this tango where we have the conversations and they directly, indirectly impact future content and it's it's yeah. very nice to have that. Yeah. You could have episodes around a theme. You could have an episode around the theme of being machmer. What are, what are we machmer on? Why? How does it make us feel? Being mako. Who does what? And, you know, you can have a discussion about what's going on in the community. So some of these questions can, if you get the right guests, they can be the basis for a fascinating, open discussion. Well, the reason I started thinking about these issues is because it comes up in Shaduchim when you have people out of the box, which is most of the people I know are very hard to put into. I went to this and this yeshiva and I'm 19 and I want to get married. It's mostly, this is how I grew up. This is what I'm now. I'm 27. I have exposure to this kind of community, that kind of community. My school sent me, you know, half across the world. So those are the people I interact with a lot of the time. And when you're trying to set them up, they, they have a TV, but the, their strawberries aren't checked. It, and it's very hard to determine, like, where on the spectrum they feel comfortable. 
So it's a fascinating concept to study and see. We would love to continue this conversation in the chat. Let us know if you feel like your voices have been represented. And if you are satisfied, are there questions you feel like can inspire more surveys, more episodes and topics? How do we get to know ourselves better? And I would like to close this up with one idea that my mother shared with me <laughs> this morning. She said how in the more yeshivish community, we, instead of addressing what is actually going on, for example, if you take media, their media, they talk about what should be going on. What is the ideal? And when you answer, how are you? You say, Bar Hashem, great, because that's what you should want to feel and should want to be and should do or, you know, fill in the blank. Whereas a modern Orthodox or centrist or what yeshivish light, you have more expose, you have podcasts like these, you have sexual abuse allegations being written about and talked about. And that's because we're trying to mirror the experience that's happening, knowing there is an ideal, but there is this difference of culture, which we did talk about on our previous episode together, where you spoke about the responses, how are people satisfied with their religious community or with how expensive being from is like, do they feel fulfilled even though it's so expensive and so hard or restrictive or whatever it is? And you said the Moishiv community responded more positively on that one. And to which I asked you, could that be because part of their mentality is to have that positivity and thinking about the ideal versus what is it actually like? The emphasis on life is hard is a given. It doesn't need to necessarily be enjoyable, which is something the Western world values a lot today. So those are my closing remarks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions, thoughts, we'll continue this in the chat. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We have so many more enjoyable episodes coming up for you this summer. I love hearing from you. So keep reaching out and see you next week. Bye.